entire New Testament. We're at about year seven. It'll take me probably less than one more year to finish this. So in about seven and a half years, we will have gone through the entire New Testament. So we just finished First and Second Thessalonians last week. We have Jude, Titus, and First um, and Second Corinthians left. Jude, we're going to cover a knockout today, which will give us three books left. First uh, and Second Corinthians is about thirty-two chapters. It'll take us about six months to get through First and Second Corinthians. Titus is just a couple chapters. It'll just take us two weeks to get through that. So we're on track, probably in about six months or so, to have taught through the entire New Testament. So Jude, if you're looking for it, it's right before Revelation. If you get to Revelation, just go back until you see Jude, and it's a one-chapter book we're going to cover today. Now, as we open this up, I want to talk to you guys about the concept of trust. Now, what does it mean? You know, you know how trust works? You, you trust people that you, you know, right? If you walk out of church today and a stranger is coming out of the brother's restaurant, and he says, hey, um, I, 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 I forgot my wallet, and I just ordered a bunch of food. I brought my friends, and I told them I was going to pay for them. Um, can I borrow $50? And, and I'll meet you back here tomorrow at 1 o'clock, and I'll give you your $50 back. You've never seen the person before in your life. Are you guys going to reach into your wallet and give him $50? Depends, right? But it's basically you don't know. But... In the same scenario, if you leave church today and Lydia comes running out of the brother's restaurant and Lydia says to you, hey, I, I have a host of people. My friends from California are all here and we, I told them I was going to buy them dinner and can I borrow $50 and I'll meet you back at the church and my wallet's over there and I'll give you back the $50 in no time. You'd be more likely to loan Lydia the $50, right? Because you know her and you have a better chance of getting your 50 bucks back. You know, sometimes people say, you know, Pastor, I have a hard time trusting the Lord. You know what you're really saying if you say you're having a hard time trusting God? You're saying, I really don't know the Lord that well. Because it's a matter of trust. It's a matter of relationship and, and intimacy. And if you know God well, then you can trust that the, the promises of God's Word are going to cover your lives. We worry about the, the lamest, smallest things in life. The apostles, when they prayed, they prayed to God and they said, God, the creator of the heavens and the earth and all that is in them. Because when you identify God as, as the creator of the universe, the Bible says, you know, they used to say the span of the universe is 7 billion light years across. And then they came out and they said, no, now it's 12 billion light years across. And I'm like, oh my God, just got bigger. And every time they expand the light years across, I'm like, because the Bible says that God measures the universe with the span of his hand. That's from your thumb to your pinky. Put it out. God puts his thumb to his pinky out and he measures 12 billion light years across. Is that a big God? So the apostles say, God, the creator of the heavens and the earth and all that is in them. And that's who they're praying to. Can you trust that guy? Yeah? I don't know if you guys are like all got the coronavirus or something or like, <laughs> just kidding. That's not good jokes right now, huh? That's like when you see your friend Jack at the airport. You never say hi to him? You guys will get it tomorrow. But don't, when you see your friend Jack in the airport, don't say, hi, Jack. Um, yeah. Okay, anyways. So, so trusting the Lord is a matter of relationship and intimacy, right? And so really what, what I want to encourage you guys as we get into Titus, I think this, or Jude, I'm sorry, this is in the chapter. Listen, that we as Christians, our, our focus in being Christ followers day to day, in growing in our walk, in becoming more and more like Jesus, is relational. 
And the only way you trust somebody more is you, you build relationship with them. You know them more. You spend time with them. You know, I've, I've said before, like, I have no secrets. Like, I have no um, mysterious bag of tricks that I, you know, I can use. I, I'm really simple pastor and preacher. Read your Bible more. Pray more. And, and you know, and, and worship. Read, pray, worship. It's pretty simple. Yeah, read your Bible more. Pray more. That's, that's it. That's all I got for you. But as we do those things, we grow in our relationship with Jesus. Amen? Okay, so let's, um, let's look at Jude chapter 1. Now, first it says, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James. Now, this particular name, Jude, is, is Judas. It's the same. It would be, you know, very no difference, really, in the Greek and Hebrew between the term Jude, Judas, Chris, Christy, Christopher. It's all the same name. We know the, the most familiar Judas in the Bible is who? Judas of Iscariot, the son of Iscariot. But here we have another Jude, and he identifies himself as the brother of James. So who is this James in the New Testament? The third Judas, by the way, that's mentioned in the New Testament, he's mentioned one time in Luke's Gospel, not really any information about him. So we have this Jude, Judas, or Judas Iscariot that we kind of commonly know in the New Testament. But this particular Jude identifies himself as the brother of James. Now this brother of James is also the author of the book of James, who identifies himself as who? As the half-brother of Jesus, or Jesus' little brother. I, I remember as we taught through the book of James, not that long ago, there was this really kind of heartfelt dynamic from the writing of James as the little brother of Jesus. Because James didn't become a believer in Jesus until after Jesus died and what? Rose again. And in the resurrection and seeing the risen Lord, for, for 33 years, Jesus and, and James and, and Jude, who we're going to see today, probably shared a bedroom. You shared a bedroom with Jesus for 25 years. You know, you, you snuggled with Jesus at night, you know, in your Jewish home with all kinds of kids and you know, and, and you didn't believe. And then finally it hit you what you missed, what you lost, what you could have been tapping into for 25 years. Hey, Jesus, by the way, you know, he's God of heaven, the creator of the universe. Maybe you wanted to win the lottery or do something cool and he's your brother. You could have been like, hey, you know, like, hey, I really like this girl down the street, dude. Can you give me some pecs? You know, but and James realizes after all this he, he, that this, this guy was God sleeping in his bedroom for all these years, his brother. And James didn't, and Jude in the same boat here. Now, so, so when James writes, you, you catch this, this kind of like little bit of a broken heart that he has about the idea that he missed all those years. Now, now here we have another brother. So if we, get, if we look at the authors of the New Testament, they're all Jewish, every one of them. All, all the authors of the Bible are Jewish. It's written by Jews. Um, and, and Jude here, he, he being the half-brother of Jesus, what's fascinating is <clears throat> he never even hones in on the idea. He doesn't say, like, yeah, I'm Jude. I'm a half-brother of Jesus. You know, we, we, we hung out together. We played on the same soccer team. He scored more goals than me, but, you know, I was good. You know, like nothing about, like, or I'm somebody. I'm Jesus' brother, half-brother. Now, why do we call these guys Jesus' half-brother, first of all? They shared the same what? Mother and had different fathers because Jesus was born of the Holy Spirit and the Father God. And then after that, and, and again, unfortunately, not to be disrespectful, but just be in Bible, um, contrary to Catholic belief and doctrine, 
Mary and Joseph had a regular marriage. They did get married. They consummated the marriage, and they went on, and they had many children. We know that Jesus had at least, and it says brothers and sisters. He had sisters. He had these. We identify two of his brothers from Mary and Joseph. The fascinating thing about the, the narrative is that Joseph disappears somewhere in the ministry of Jesus. So we believe that Joseph uh, dies somewhere. Maybe Jesus took over the the family business. I believe Joseph was probably around long enough because Jesus was a carpenter, which was Joseph's trade. And he taught Jesus the trade. You guys, i got to blow my nose. I had a um, little bit of an ear and nose in, uh, infection a couple days ago, and i got to blow my nose. I'm sorry. That's, that's, uh, that's speaking 101, huh? Yeah. All right, so Jude, look at look at it again. Jude, a bond servant of Jesus Christ. Again, he doesn't he doesn't hone in on that. He does identify James. Now, James and Jude became leaders in the early church, specifically in the church that was planted in Jerusalem. But he calls himself a bond servant. This is something that Paul uses that he's a bond servant. Paul also adds and attaches the tag on his writings that he was an apostle of Jesus Christ. But but Jude here doesn't say that, just bond servant. It's a very humble identification for us as Christ followers. What a bondservant is, the Greek word is doulos, and it was, it was a slave. And as you know, there was many slaves in the Roman world and in the, in the Greek world and in this time. But if you were a slave and you had a, good, you had a good master and you had a contract, usually the slaves would have a contract and they would get freed at a certain point. But oftentimes they would marry within that family. They would have kids within that family. They would be structured. And if the, if the, if the slave owner was good to you and when you were set free, you wanted to stay. And oftentimes it would happen... There was a ritual or ceremony of becoming a doulos or a bondservant or a servant by choice. And so they would take you to the doorpost and they would put an awl through your ear. So gauges aren't new. You guys with gauges, you ain't hip. They've been around for thousands of years. They would put gauges in your ear and really cool like skull-like earrings in them. Just kidding. Not Bible. But anyways, that was the sign of a, a doulos or a bondservant. So Jude's saying that he's a willing servant and slave of Jesus Christ. How about you guys? Are you douloses of Jesus Christ? Are you a bond servant of Jesus? When you wake up, you'll tell me? All right. I'm going to keep picking on you guys because some of you wake up and, I don't know, let's get Pentecostal up in here or something. Amen me something. To those who are called, verse, the rest of verse 1, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ. I want you guys to underline that word preserved if you underline and you're highlighting your Bible. Now first that for those, to those, so who's he writing to? Those that are sanctified. What does it mean to be sanctified? Very simply. I've been teaching this. It means, someone got it, set apart. That's the very simple part of sanctified. The word holy. If, if you've been called holy unto the Lord, it's the same concept. You've been set apart. Set apart from what? From the things of the world. Set apart from, from living ungodly lives. You've been set apart unto God's service. So we're sanctified. And then the second part is we're preserved in Jesus Christ. We're going to see that we're preserved in Jesus. And then in the middle of, the, of, this cha- of this chapter, he's going to tell us basically to preserve ourselves. And then at the end of the chapter, he's going to say that God is able to preserve you. So we have this sandwich with God preserving us on both ends in this chapter and us preserving ourselves in the middle. Well, which is it? Does God preserve us or do we preserve ourselves in our walk with the Lord? Which is it? It's both. The answer is both. And that's what Jude is going to be teaching us, is that God has his responsibility and his part. 
But according to free will, you have a choice to, to walk under. And, they, you know, John Corson always says to be under the spout where the blessing comes out. I'm not experiencing in my life God's blessing. Is God mad at me? Is, is, is there a problem? No, you just haven't placed yourself under the spout where the blessing comes out. You know, this is a concept I've tried to communicate to my own sons in that I believe there's an umbrella that God puts over our lives. And sometimes I've seen seasons where my boys, my oldest boy in particular, has been going through some things and, and, and I, I haven't tried to identify this for him, but I've asked him to identify it for himself. I said, son, are you outside of this umbrella that God has over your life? And, and maybe some of these things that are happening to you, is, it's not judgment, but you've, you've made a choice that you're standing outside of the umbrella or outside of the, the shower where the blessing comes out. And we can do that as Christians. You know, I, I don't believe you can lose your salvation. And if I'm just being 100% honest, I do believe you can leave your salvation. I believe that's biblical. I could be wrong. Everybody wants to fight about it. That's just where I stand on the wrong side of the right argument. I don't know. But you cannot lose your salvation. But I think we have some clear biblical examples where folks have left it. And what, how does the circle argument go so I don't get in it too much, right? Because then the, what do people say? Oh, no, no, they can't lose it. They didn't leave it. They never had it in the first place. Well, who's to know if they had it in the first place or not? I don't know. But I do know this, and I, and I think we'll prove it today through the book and the study, is that we, we have a choice of where we want to be relationally to God's blessing. Do you guys agree with that? Okay, so let's see if we can see that as we go through here. So God is able to preserve us. We have to preserve ourselves. God is going to preserve us in the end. We're going to see that threefold progression, responsibility that we have, and then responsibility that God takes upon himself. In verse 2, it says, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Who doesn't want some of that? You guys want some mercy, peace, and love multiplied to you? Can I tell you guys what I got multiplied to me last night? Crab, shrimp, king crab legs, corn, potatoes, piles of it. Angel came by my house at 11.30 last night. This is a true story. And dropped off piles of, of, of crab and lobster, not lobster, crab and food. And, and my son calls me 11.30 at night. When, when your phone rings at 11.30 at night and it's your son, you're like, so I answer the phone and it's Caleb. He's like, Dad, where are you? I said, I'm in my room. Trying to go to sleep. Got to preach tomorrow. And he said, you might want to come out here, Dad. <laughs> I said, Okay. So I go out in the living room and Quincy and Jessica are staying with us and Luke and everybody's there. They got like butter dripping off their ears and red stuff coming up their face. I'm not kidding. There were crab shells in the living room by the TV 10 feet away from where we were eating and they were just going to town. Quincy was sitting on the edge of the couch on the edge of the table by himself. He had a pile of shrimp in front of him like he was comatose. Like, So I was telling Caleb, dude, you want to call me at 1130 at night for that? Anytime. So. Thank you, Obi, for the food, man. It was good, dude. All right. So, hey, where are we at? So, mercy, peace, and love multiplied to you. So, that, that's always a good thing. Verse 3, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary, catch this, to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. So important, verse 3, you guys. It sets the tone of where we're going to head. Now, I think what he's saying is that Jude says, I had this intention. Like he said, I was diligent. You know the Bible can't exaggerate. So when he says he was diligent, he was diligent. 
He says, I was diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation. Like I had the Holy Spirit had been working in my heart, in my life, and I was writing and, 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 and coming up with ideas of what I wanted to say. And it all had to do concerning our common salvation, the grace of God, the love of God, the mercy about your and my um, brotherhood because we're both saved. And we're all different walks of people. And we all come together in Jesus. You know, one of my famous, famous true stories about this idea that Jesus makes us one. Um, I, I had a kid that I grew up with, and his name was David. And this is, this is a true story. I think four times David and I had a fist fight and that nobody really won. We just beat each other up. It got to the point with, with this kid David that I grew up with that if we happened to run into each other in a random place in the mall anywhere, when we saw each other... We would drop what we were holding and we would start fighting. That's just the way, and that's true. That's what happened four times. Well, first couple were there, but by the last couple, it was just like if David and I ran into each other, let's fight. So I'm at the Harvest Crusade, a great glory Harvest Crusade, and I'm walking. I'm walking and thinking. I'm, I've been a Christian about two weeks, maybe six months, and I and I hear this voice, Chris, and I look up and it's David. True story. He stands up, puts his arms out, and he goes. How long have you been saved? I said, dude, about six months. How about you? He's like, yeah, I got saved. <laughs> I gave him a big old hug. Harvest Crusade, first year of being, being a Jesus follower. It was just like, it was all gone. He was, he was so excited because he couldn't let me go. He was like four rows up in a you know, baseball stadium, and I'm walking on the concourse, and he yells down at me, Chris. And I look up. Oh, man, that's the last person I want to see. He says, how long have you been saved? So we're, we're Jesus. So anyways, Jude is saying, like, this is the, what I want to write to you about. But the Holy Spirit has kind of flipped what I need to talk to you about in the next couple of verses in this chapter. Look what he says. He says, um, concerning our common salvation, but I found it necessary to write to you on a different topic and exhorting you to contend earnestly. Everybody say contend earnestly. For the faith which once was delivered for all, two parts of that second half. Listen, contend earnestly. This is the part I was talking to you guys about. You have personal responsibility, and God has parts He's going to do in your life as a Christian. You've got to be in the place where the blessings come out. You've got to be under the spout where the blessings come out. You've got to remain under the umbrella of God's protection. Amen? So that's the part where, where Jude says, contending earnestly for the faith. You know, the number one area that I often tell you guys that you are personally responsible for and contending for your faith is in the area of deception and being deceived. Many, many times the New Testament warns you about being deceived, and every time the responsibility is squarely on your own shoulders. I could get up here and I could preach to you guys all kinds of false doctrine, and I could tell you all kinds of weird stuff. And I, I'm sure I'm going to stand before God one day, and I'm going to give account for that if, if that was the case. But you are not going to stand before God and say, God, Pastor Chris told me bad information. That's why. Because God says to you, listen, and I, I just, you just have to be honest. You are responsible not to be deceived. You can't let, God's not going to hold it as an excuse because some preacher or teacher or book you read gave you bad information. He expects you to know the Word of God. And you have every access that I have to God and to the Word of God. And so don't be deceived. Don't let anybody deceive you. It's never going to be a good excuse. Get in the Word of God. Test everything I say. Test everything you hear. Check it with Scriptures. 
when Lee, my friend that I told you guys about, he sent me this video and he said, will you watch it? 16 minutes. It's a prophecy from a pastor in Kentucky. Will you let me know what you think about it? You know, the very first thing is, this guy was sharing what he said was a prophecy that he received through dreams. And I said, number one, I don't put a lot of, of, of trust in dreams. I'll listen, but God doesn't need to reveal a, a revelation through dreams because he's already given it to us through his word. You have every revelation that you need through the word. So if some guy stands on a soapbox and he says, I had a dream and a vision and God said this. Great. I hope you did. And I want to listen. I want to hear what God said. But everything that God said better exactly line up with what he already said in the word of God. Or I'm going to tune you out. So I listened. I, I didn't tune the guy out originally. I listened. And I listened to the video and I listened to him do his thing. And I thought, okay, cool. He's, you know, and the stuff he was saying, I, I kind of was with some of it. Like, we've had some bad stuff happen the last couple of months. And, and we're going to have a little break. And then some more bad stuff is going to happen. I kind of was like, okay, I kind of feel on that too, you know. And, and then he got into the, the weird stuff. And, and it wasn't biblical to me. And so that, at that point, I turned him off. You know, we have the full revelation. The verse in the Bible, you know, it says that you have in the Bible everything you need for life and godliness. Everything. Everything you need for life and godliness found in the Word of God. So, earnestly contend for the faith. Listen, I hope what you guys are feeling right now, and I want to just be as clear as I can. This is what I want you to feel. A responsibility placed on your own shoulders that says, hey, I have a responsibility as a Christ follower. To, to be diligent, to seek God, to not be deceived, to be in the Word of God, to be a student for myself. It doesn't mean everybody has to be a scholar and, and perfect in all their doctrine and theology. There's a reason why we have the local church, and local churches all over the world today are doing what we're doing to equip and help you guys and to help us. And I do the same thing you guys are doing as I listen to sermons throughout the week and read books and prepare for messages. This is a, a function that God has laid out, but it's, it's, it's an accent for what God wants to do in your life. It's not the end-all, be-all, right? It's a meal. I'm here to prepare a meal for you each week. Sometimes they taste okay, sometimes a little better, sometimes not so good. But if this is the only meal you eat a week, how strong is your, is your spirit going to be? Not very good. Some of us could use a few less meals a week, but not these kinds. Okay? All right, hey, so then the second half of that, you're, you contend earnestly for the faith, which was once delivered for all. Think about this. Think about where you live without me saying what my elephant in the room is. Listen to this verse. It says, the gospel was once for all delivered to the saints. What does that mean? Let me spell it out for you. No new revelations will come after this. What Jude says. Jude says the, the, the canon of the word, the Bible, after that point, no new revelations are going to come that once and for all, that, that at one time was delivered to the saints. It's not going to be delivered to the saints at one point, and then um, in 1856 be delivered to the saints a second time. Or in 600, when Muhammad uh, began his visions and began to, what they try to give him credit for writing the Quran, but technically Muhammad didn't write the Quran, he was illiterate. But there was a new revelation that came 600 years after this. Well, Jude is telling us that, that it's coming. It's delivered once for the all. You know, one of my favorite verses about this, you can just write this down next to me if you like, but Hebrews 1.1. 1, 1. Listen to what the Bible says about the way God is going to bring um, the word of God to us. Hebrews 1.1, 1, 1, very simply, listen. God, who at various times and in various ways 
spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets. God in the past, before the written word, he spoke to Abraham and he spoke to Lot and he spoke to others by the prophets. And in times past, he spoke in times past by the, to the fathers by the prophets. But listen, he has in these last days where you and I live, has spoken to us no more by the prophets and by words of wisdom and knowledge because now we have the Word of God. That's the difference. They didn't have the canonized, the complete Word of God. Now you and I have the Word of God. So he says, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things through whom he made the world. So today he speaks through Jesus. How many of you guys know what John 1.1 says? Christianity 101, let's learn it. What does John 1.1 say? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Not a God, or the God, or any God. The Word was God. One more time. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14. The Word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. Who became flesh and dwelt among us? Jesus. So who is the Word of God? Jesus. What does Hebrews tell us? God speaks through Jesus. The Word of God. So it's the Word of God that brings the full revelation. Amen? Back to Judas. In verse number 4 it says, um, For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, um, verse 4 is the reason why I think Titus says he took this change of direction and what he wanted to originally write to him about. First, I like verse 3 because he gives us that really, really powerful verse against later revelations that we can always use. You should know where you live, um, Titus 1-3. The, the Bible has come, it's delivered once for all. Then, I think that's part of it. Then the other part is because these lewd fellows, he calls them. Remember in Thessalonica, we were just there last week. What, what was happening in Thessalonica? They had people that were coming in and preaching false doctrine. They were writing letters and then writing Paul's name down at the bottom of them. And, and, and telling the Thessalonians that the rapture had come, that they missed the tribulation, or they were going into the tribulation, um, I should say. So the same thing was happening that Jude is dealing with, these false teachers. And so basically, in the sum of this, listen, he's basically going to tell them as we walk through this, yeah, you have these people coming in, they're teaching false doctrine, they're causing division, there's a problem, everything is not all rosy, the, the, the church is not without spot or blemish, there's problems, there's problem people, there's gossips, there's backbites, there's bad doctrine, there's divisions that are happening. But walk anyways. But trust Jesus anyways. Keep your eyes on Jesus anyways, what he's going to say. You know, it's the same true today. The church is not perfect. You know, my pastor said a million times, this is not, you know, our church back home, this is not the perfect church. If you're looking for the perfect church, you're in the wrong place. We have problems in this church. If we want to get rid of all the problems, all we have to do is get rid of all the people and the problems will go away. And he said, if you're looking for the perfect church and you do go out, he said, if you find the perfect church, he said, don't join it because it won't be perfect anymore. You know what kind of, um, what, what part of one body leaves a body and joins to another body? A disease is the only part that leaves your body and joins another body. You know, there is no perfect church. And so, you know, we're, we're imperfect people. We're flawed and we need Jesus and we need to love each other. Have mercy and compassion and, and, and you know, we'll, and we'll see that as we go on, how we're going to deal with some of that. And he's going to say, I love it, because when he gets to the end, he's going to say about these people. And this is the way we want to do it here in our church. 
We have people that come in, they're new. Like, we're so glad they're here. They're, they're a big problem. Like, they don't know Jesus. They have all kinds of problems. They're all kinds of baggage when they show up. They want to cause trouble. Like, I'm so glad they're here. I just don't want them to be that same way in a year, in two years, in five years. You know, I want to love them. I want to give them Jesus. I want to let them meet Jesus on their own and grow and see some of their own things and let Jesus identify in their lives what he wants to change and get better in them and be a part of that process. That's what we're here to do. So we never boohoo that. We never get upset with those people or with those situations. But there, there's a couple ways, you know, and, and what Jude is going to say is some of those people, you just got to really put your arms around them. You got to love them. You got to be gentle with them. And he said some of them, you got to rip them out in the, in, the, in the driveway and beat them up, you know, and you got to treat them a little rougher. I'll show you what he says. But you guys look at me crazy, but he does say something like that. Okay, so, um, so certain men have crept in. Now, we got to pause right here really quickly because the entire message of what Jude is going to preach is summed up for you in verse 20 and 21. So, so I'm going to do 5 through 19 in a second, but 5 through 19 are going to be in the context of verse 20 and 21. You guys got that? Okay, 20 and 21 says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up, on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. So this is the part of it that's responsibility on you and I to be Christ followers who have responsibility to stay under the spout where the blessing comes out, to remain under God's umbrella of protection, to be Christ followers who have intimacy and relationship. Looking unto Jesus, regardless of your problems, don't make excuses because things are around you are bad in your work, in your home, in your church. Keep your eyes on Jesus and keep pressing forward. And then he says, um, so that's all in that, that whole, the whole chapter now is set in that context. Verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God. Everybody say, keep yourselves in the love of God. Thank you. Verse 5, but I want to remind you though, you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Three groups he's going to mention who did not keep the love of God that he mentions in verse 21, and ill result happened. So basically, really in a nutshell, what he's going to say. Check it out. The people in Egypt, God was all over them. He parted the Red Sea. He killed all the firstborn put flies and locusts in to protect them. Um, Moses, with his staff, set it down and the Red Sea parted and, and the entire Egyptian army was drowned in their backs. Amazing protection and relationship with these people. But how did it end with some of them? He killed them or he let them die. Forty-year funeral march through the wilderness waiting for those to die before they could cross over into the Promised Land because they, it got to the point where God said enough is enough. And you, you will not go. And at one point, God said, anybody 21 years and older, you're not going in. And we're going to march around here in the wilderness for 40 years till you all die so the rest can go in that had faith. They had a good relationship with him at one point, and it soured. And Joel, uh, Jude is going to point out three examples biblically of where it was good, but people who did not continue to follow the love of Christ. Now, the second one he gives us is, and the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode and has reserved everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Second of the three um, groups is the angels. At one point, what we have today as demons and angels were all created by God, heavenly angels. Now, I don't have time today, but at one, one sermon, we're going to do it because it's pretty fascinating. 
But there's a, 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 a description of Satan in the book of Isaiah and two other places in the Old Testament that give us this picture of who Satan was. And, and it was like, you get this impression, people say that Satan was the worship leader of heaven. There was three archangels that we, we identify as the three, and, and God ranked the angels like our military. There was a general that was in charge of this many, another general, and they had three archangels, and all of the angels were in rank and file underneath the three, Michael, Gabriel, and Lucifer. That Lucifer's job was to lead music and worship, but that not only was he a worship leader who, who could just beautifully create music, that he was almost a, a music instrument himself as an angel. And that he was bedazzled and bejeweled and that he was beautiful and glorious. Before pride filled his heart and he was cast like lightning out of heaven. The Bible says in Revelation that Satan swung a, his tail and a third of the angels went with him. So maybe that third that he was in charge with in heaven, they, they, they also chose to leave heaven and go with Satan. And that's the faction that we have today of demons and angels. They're all angelic beings. At one point, they were all under the grace of God. And now they're not. And that's the point that Jude is making. And then the third example he gives, um, but again, like I was going to say, what we could make a whole sermon out of and really get into, it's been a little bit fascinating, is that study of, of Satan and who he was. And, you know, they always make jokes about Satan being the worship leader in heaven, and that makes sense today, you know. But I would never say that, you know. Our worship leader, Brian, is, he's, he's more like, Michael or Gabriel, not Satan, that's for sure. All right, here we go. They're just bad jokes that pastors tell anyways. All right, here we go. So in verse 7, now the third example, which is a little different, but Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in similar manner to these having given themselves over to sexual immorality. You know, the word Sodomite today comes from the city of Sodom. And gone after strange flesh and set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal life. Now, the, the, there was a time where God left Sodom and Gomorrah alone. And, and, and then there came a time because of their... And, and what's identified in Sodom and Gomorrah, if you're not familiar, Sodom and Gomorrah is an ancient city that God rained down fire and brimstone upon and killed them. That's kind of where we sometimes get the term in you know, fire and brimstone preaching. This was a literal event where coal and fire and fell from heaven and destroyed a people. And the reason why God destroyed them was because what's identified is because of an abhorrent sexual behavior, um, men with men, women with women, all kinds of weird stuff, beyond weird stuff going on. Stories that came out of Sodom and Gomorrah are just disgusting. That Even the ones the Bible tells are really bad of what was happening there. And so there was a point where they had turned over and they were no longer stayed in the love of God and they fit that category. Now he's going to give us the three groups and then three illustrations of... Um, we're going to skip 8 through uh, 10 just for a second. Let's look at 11 because it goes with the three groups and now three illustrations to follow up on those three examples he just gave us of those who did not keep the love of God. So verse 11 says, Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain. They have run greedily the error of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellion of, of Korah. Now I'm really running out of time, but he, he identifies three things um, in these, these stories, Cain's issue was, anybody know what Cain's issue was? Was anger. He murdered his brother, but the identified sin in Cain's life was he was angry. He was angry that God blessed his brother and not him. He was angry and he let the anger fester until it, 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 it manifested in murdering his brother with an AR-15. 
one shot, put a hole in it about this big. I seen the lady on CNN with the poster. Anyways, um, he he got angry, killed his brother with a rock, probably, maybe strangled him, maybe a chokehold. And then the second one was, that's not going to go live, is it? I'll just keep. So the second one was, they have run the greedy era of Balaam. I talked about Balaam a little bit last week. Balaam's issue was was greed. And Balaam was the one that, the, that the, the pagan king hired to curse Israel, and he couldn't curse them. And so he told the, the pagan king how to make God curse them and have the girls go in. And if the guys have sex with them, they're committing sexual immorality. It's sin, and God will judge them. And that's exactly what happened. And then the last one was the rebellion of Korah. And Korah was the guy who came against Moses and said, how come you're the boss and you get to tell all the rules and tell everybody what's going on? I'm tired of you. Who, who made you ruler and king? And Moses said, okay, God's going to judge. You guys and your group stand over there, and we'll stand over here. And then the hole opened up, the earth opened up, the sinkhole, and Korah and his group went in a sinkhole, and by that everybody knew that Moses was the guy that God chose. But Korah's issue was envy. Now, it's funny that Jude identifies these three issues, right? Anger, greed, and envy. Would you guys identify those three? Probably not, because they're not our problems, right? I mean, or the other ones are not our problems. These are our real problems. I'm sure we've all been angry at times, you know, when you're when you're when your friend shows up from California in the second brand new truck he's had in two years. You're like, yeah, it must be nice. You know, a little greed kicks in envy. You know, um, th- those are things that we experience. We deal with in a in a um, in a real basis. But those are things he deals with now. Um, page. Uh, Verses 8 through 10, I skipped those. I'm going to have to keep going. You guys can read back at those. But again, just some, some really cool stuff in there. The body of Moses is very fascinating in verse 9. Uh, possible that, that that's kind of one of the things that helps me believe that Moses is going to be one of the two witnesses in the book of Revelation because there's this contention over his body. I will say this. Let's look at 9 really quick. Yet Michael the archangel, this is kind of parenthetical, in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses, he dared not bring an a- against him a reviling accusation but he said, the Lord rebuke you. So these are two archangels created the same. Oftentimes people try to compare Jesus and Satan. Let me tell you, that's never a comparison. Don't do that. Jesus is God, the creator. Satan's a booger. I'm serious. That's the comparison. And, and, and when they fight in the battle of Armageddon, Jesus versus Satan, it's going to happen. It's no fight. Satan can't fight Jesus. Jesus is just going to hold his arms like, oh, what's her name? And go, hmm. And the fight's over. That's it. Bewitched and it's done. Um, what was her name? She twinkled her nose. I dream a genie. That was it. There's no fight. It's not a comparison. But what is a good comparison is Michael, or it's Michael here, Gabriel. Michael and Satan. Okay? So they're contending over the body of Moses, which is strange anyways. What, why did Satan care about the body of Moses? He stole it. The, as you read the life of Moses, all the patriarchs, you know what happened to them. It's like they were buried in the hills of Gomorrah with the rest of the, whatever, the trolls and the hobbits. But you, you know what happened to him. But Moses, like, disappears. And now we hear all the way toward almost the book of Revelation, we get this little thing where Satan steals the body of Moses, and then Michael shows up to fight him for it, like me and David. Well, it doesn't make any sense. Well, it says, listen, when Michael was dealing with Satan, he could have had a decent clash with him. But he said, Michael the archangel would not even revile against Satan. But he said, the Lord rebuke you. He put Jesus between himself and the fight with Satan. Listen, you're not Michael the archangel, so you can't fight Satan, okay? 
Don't try. So if you go to the church and they say, Oh, just Satan, we rebuke you. Satan, get out of here. Satan. Like, shut up. You're talking to Satan. The angel, Michael, wouldn't even do that. Who are you? That's foolishness. We don't, we don't need to waste any time talking to Satan, praying to Satan. You know, and sometimes we just do it because that's what we learned, we heard. It's not the end of the world. But if that's a habit you have or that's something that you picked up along the way or you've learned, I'm encouraging you to drop that. You can say, we, we're supposed to do spiritual battle and warfare, but just say, the Lord rebuke you. Jesus rebuke you. Put Jesus between you and your fight with Satan every time. And if you find yourself praying and you're, you're talking to Satan in your prayers, that's just a bad habit. Again, I'm not judging anybody. It's not the end of the world. Sometimes we do those things because we have it and we learned them somewhere along the way. But just, it, it's just, you don't need to do that. Amen? All right, hey, we've got to wrap up, you guys, so we're done. So I'm, I'm out of time. So I just got to have to jump down to the end and um, finish up. Uh, verse 20 is where we, we talked about. Verse 16 through 19, he's just, again, he's predicting there's grumblers and complainers and stuff going on. And he says, yes, all this stuff is happening. Paul tells us the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. That's kind of the idea there. And then um, in verse 20, he says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Three things he gives us to do. So you're, you're supposed to build yourselves up in the most holy faith. Build yourselves up in the faith, number one. How do you build your faith? There's a verse we should all be quoting right now. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. That's a biblical prescription for for increasing your faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. The second thing you're supposed to do there, verse 20, is to pray in the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Okay? Three things really quickly. And then, uh, you know, it'll help if we get the worship team to come on up because I'm done. And then uh, I'll wrap up as they're coming up. I don't have a whole time to teach on praying, but I'll just tell you, the Bible says that we pray and we always want the Holy Spirit to lead everything we pray, right? We're, we're supposed to get alone and, and be in solitude when we pray, but we're never alone. You always want the Holy Spirit there when you pray, right? And the Holy Spirit, you're always trying to talk and, and hear and that the Holy Spirit would guide what you say. That's, that's a common type of way we pray. Holy Spirit led. The second one, Paul tells us in Romans. I'm just going to read this one for you really quickly. But in Romans, listen to what Paul says about praying. How many of you guys do this? He says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness, for we do not know what we should pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which can't be uttered. And then it says, According to the will of God. So how many of you guys are maybe travailing in prayer? God, I don't know. Like, what am I supposed to do? Oh! That's what it says, groanings and travailing, and you just, you just make noises because you don't know what else to say. And then you say, like, okay, God, you interpret what that noise is supposed to mean. Anybody pray that way? Y'all better get on your knees a little bit more. If you're not, you've got to get that groaning. It's got to hit, you know, and you really just, you don't know how to pray. Now, the third type or style of praying in 1 Corinthians 14 is praying literally in another tongue, okay? And I've got time again to teach on speaking in tongues or praying in tongues right now, but it's mentioned it's biblical, and in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul is saying again on how we pray there. He says, Therefore let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. 
What is the conclusion then? Listen, here's the conclusion. I will pray with the Spirit, and I will also pray with understanding. So when you pray with the Spirit, that you're speaking words you don't understand, that's a good way to pray. That's a very valuable way to pray. It's a gift. If you don't have it, ask God for it. And he said, I'll pray without understanding, and I will also pray with understanding. So then that's praying in your English or your native tongue or however, whatever. You, when you close your mouth and whatever you think and whatever language that is, that's your, you're praying with understanding. So he encourages us also in praying in this gift that God gives us. And then the third thing and last thing here in back in Jude, um, in this little progression of how we keep ourselves in the love of God is um, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. So the last way is looking for the return of Jesus and the imminent return of Jesus. I said we'd hit it in this in this book as well as Titus today. So that's it. So the last th- of the three advice he gives you, contend for your faith, pray, there's lots of different manners, and, and look forward to and live your lives believing that Jesus could come at any moment. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. seen your pastor here today taking the fourth off. Lydia and I will be up front to pray for you. If you guys need any individual prayer, we'd love to pray for you. Um, as we sing this last song, you guys have a great week. We love you guys and uh, God bless you guys. So let's, uh, let's pray. Father God, we come before you and we thank you, Lord Jesus, so much for this day. And Father, we thank you for this idea that we're supposed to have the eminence of your return. And Lord, we thank you for Jude. And Lord, there was just so much in there I couldn't get to today, God. And I, tried to cover as much as I could, but Lord, help us understand and, and go back this week maybe and, and focus a little bit on this little epistle and read through it. And Lord, I pray that if, if folks here in this church this morning would make a commitment right now to spend a couple minutes in, in Jude this week, that you would um, show up and give them nuggets and give them some cool stuff. And Lord, that uh, you would just encourage us through this teaching and this epistle and this person who was so intimate and personal with you growing up, your half-brother who would have known you in so many ways that nobody else ever did, so many things that have never been recorded about your young life, your teenage life, and your young adulthood, but Jude would have been there through it all. And so, Lord, we thank you for what he teaches us and what he passes on to us, and Lord, I pray that all of us would have that eternal perspective and live our lives believing that you could come back at any moment and that that would affect how we live. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week. If anybody would like individual prayer, we'll be up front to pray for you guys. God bless you guys.